0: This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Elise Adams, clinical administrator and licensed counselor with the Oriana House. Elise, welcome.
2: Thank you, Greg. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting us in today. Of
2: course.
1: Elise has five years of experience and specializes in the field of addiction recovery. Elise, you've run the medication assisted treatment program here at the Oriana House. Uh, for the past three years. So tell us a little bit about the program and why it's different from other treatment programs.
2: Sure, Greg. Um, our specific programs that we have, um, we have several. We have the Vivitrol treatment program, which happens in our MA CBCF units, which is the incarcerated population. And then we also have a uh, Vivitrol clinic for our outpatient services. So those involved in outpatient corrections programs, Um, maybe a drug court or a day reporting program. And then we also partner with a local mental health agency, Summit Psychological Associates, to provide a joint Vivitrol treatment program with them. That is for the community, and you do not have to be involved with Oriana House services at all. Just community.
1: Okay. As far as cost is concerned The major insurance companies cover that?
2: The cost for the community program, uh, Medicaid covers 100%, and private insurances cover up to a copay, you know, depending on your personal insurance, what that copay would be. Vivitrol actually offers a coupon for up to $500 off of your copay on their website.
1: Okay. And typically, what's a month cost for Vivitrol?
2: Vivitrol without any coverage is $1,100 per month. Okay. Mm -hmm. Per Per month.
1: In other words, per treatment. Yep. Yeah. Per injection, yes. And so let's talk a little bit more about Vivitrol Mm -hmm. and um, why it's effective. And then next, maybe we can move on to the other medications that you use in in medication assisted treatment. Mm -hmm. So let's start with Vivitrol.
2: Uh, Vivitrol is the injectable form of oral naltrexone, which is an oral pill that's been around for years um, used to treat opioid and alcohol addiction. Um, uh, The Vivitrol injection was approved by the FDA to use um, in 2009 for the treatment of opioid addiction. It is an opioid blocker. It completely blocks the receptors on the brain, does not activate them in any way, doesn't create dopamine, doesn't create euphoria, rather blocks that receptor, reducing cravings of any kind, as well as blocking the ability for an individual to get high on an opioid.
1: Okay. So how effective has that been?
2: Um, It's been pretty effective in our program so far. I have statistics from um, our first year of opening. Uh, We had 10 people receive nine or more shots. Um, They were all successful. 100% of them completed our program, which typically takes about six to eight months um, after they complete that. Treatment portion, so the behavioral, the groups, the individuals, things like that. They're on a maintenance plan, so they're involved with us in some capacity, at least once a month, you know, checking in like that. Um, but they've completed the core component of the behavioral part at that point. Um,
1: so that's 10 people mm-hmm. that completed that mm-hmm. in your last, how many months did you say that was?
2: That was for our first year. So first that, year. Okay. A little bit more oh, yeah. than a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So,
1: but they made it all the way through the year.
2: They made it all the way through.
1: So 10 went in. hmm And 10 came out the other side. Yes. Any of them relapse?
2: Um, Throughout their time, there was relapse, yes. Yes. How many? I would say at least three of them um, that I can think of for sure.
1: So a 70% Mm -hmm. success rate Mm -hmm. is to the best of your knowledge. Yes. So the question that begs the question, how the heck can you relapse if it's being blocked? You know, by, by the Vivitrol. Mm-hmm. How, they can't get high is the idea behind sure. the Vivitrol. So how is that possible?
2: One of the most important aspects with MAT is to recognize that the medication is a treatment for the chemical part of the addiction. So when someone's using a substance, it changes the chemicals in their brain, it changes that component. The medication addresses that, whether it be Vivitrol, Suboxone, or Methadone. However, there's still the behavioral component to that, and there's still the thinking processes. So a person can be on MAT, but if they're still hanging out with old friends, if they're still not really, you know, still working at the bar, you know, still kind of engaging in criminal activity, That sets them some self up for increased risk of relapse because they're not changing those other components of their addiction.
1: Okay. So Mm -hmm. basically, they have the protection. They've done it all. The Vivitrol, they've been coming back each time. 100% of them came Mm -hmm. back for their shots. Mm -hmm. They didn't skip a shot. Mm -hmm. And they used, three of them used, Mm -hmm. but... Ultimately, they used and they didn't get high, and so it does count as a relapse. Yeah,
2: it's interesting on how you want to classify it Yeah, because technically they aren't feeling high
1: when they're using the opiates. Mm -hmm. But their system and their brain, certainly, while it doesn't have the same effect, has, I would think, some effect.
2: Sure, absolutely. A person can absolutely still overdose if they're trying to, you know get high, you know, they're not feeling it. So if they're trying to use more and more, they absolutely will still overdose your body, your, you know, your lungs and your heart will still um, stop if you use opiates, even if you're not feeling the chemical euphoria. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: So I think that covers Vivitrol Mm -hmm. pretty well. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the next treatment.
2: Sure. So Suboxone is a medication that contains the blocking component so it will block the receptors in the brain and reduce the ability for an individual to get high. Um, and it also has a synthetic opioid in it. So there is um, an opiate in that as well. And so together, it creates a blocker and it creates sort of like a maintenance. So a person is not getting high, so to speak. They're not feeling euphoria Um, But they are receiving um, a certain amount of synthetic opioid when they take the medication. That's daily and typically comes in the film strips.
1: So daily, they do this as an outpatient. They take it themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go anyplace. Correct. They just do it in their own home. Correct. Okay. So it relies upon them. Every single day, every 24 hours mm-hmm. to be compliant.
2: Mm-hmm. Most programs do um, seven day prescriptions, shorter prescriptions until they've been able to maintain long term, um, and then might do, you know, 30 day prescriptions. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So for somebody on Suboxone, how do you monitor them?
2: Um, it, suboxone will show up in a regular urine drug screen test. Uh, so we can. Um, so have them submit UDSs, make sure they're testing positive for Suboxone. Um, that helps us to know that they're taking it.
1: So do you do that though? Yes. I mean, as, as part of your program? Yes, as How part often? of our program.
2: Um, their UDSs are typically two to three times a week. If someone's mm-hmm. further along in their program, they might go down to once a week. Okay, great.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's two of them, is there a third?
2: There is, there's methadone. So methadone does not contain the blocker. Methadone is an opioid, um, and does not create any of that blocking effect, rather it's again a maintenance, so it is a level of opiate, but when taken um, daily and at the recommended dose, allows a person not to feel high or euphoria, um, but to maintain their you know daily living skills.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. so Elise, when would you prescribe one versus the other, the others, I should say.
2: Right, well, there isn't a magic answer to that. Really, um, treatment is individualized for a client. We look at things like, Use history. We look at things like amount of use, but ultimately um, it's individualized. If a client is, you know, says, "I don't want to be on methadone," "I don't want to be on methadone," then they're not going to be on methadone. So it's individualized, coupled with, you know, our regular substance use assessments that determine diagnosis and placement and things like that. But at the end of the day, we're going to um, allow what the allow the client's input to play a part on what's prescribed to them.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but. Clinically, are there any key aspects of one versus the other where uh, your your patient has, you know, is exhibiting these, uh, you know, uh, tendencies and therefore I go in this direction or, or anything else that our listeners could you could share with the listeners.
2: Sure, oftentimes um for methadone treatment, they look at those individuals who have long-term using histories as well as um a high le- a high amount that they were using. They typically lean towards methadone because um For someone to use a long period of time and use a high amount of opiates, the likelihood that they're able to remain abstinent 100% from opioids is lower. Um, So they look at the methadone because it does have opiate in it.
1: Okay. And Mm -hmm. can you define long time?
2: Um, I'd say usually about 10 years or more. Wow. Mm -hmm.
1: 10 years. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't make it that
2: far. No,
1: they don't. Okay. Others, other indicators? that would push you in one direction versus another other than long-term use?
2: Sure. If you look on on the SAMHSA website um, and specific to Vivitrol, it talks about um, typically clients who are younger um, who have uh, failed at the um, Suboxone or Methadone. um, And oftentimes they look at failing at that as not being able to take that medication daily and have that medication adherence Um, so the injection, the Vivitrol, it's one time a month. They don't manage that themselves. So if they've had trouble with the other, they go to Vivitrol. Um, it's also recommended for clients who have, um, high motivation. So that would mean legal motivation as well as, you know, maybe someone with, um, who's a doctor and looking for treatment. Their motivation is typically going to be higher as they have a lot more to lose, um, and to be held accountable to.
1: So for for both of those cases, you would suggest the Vivitron? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so in what cases then would, uh, would you suggest Suboxone?
2: Uh, Suboxone is kind of meet in the middle. Um, and a lot of times I think Suboxone is um, individualized to clients often know What we're seeing recently is clients are either choosing between Vivitrol and Suboxone in our population. And really it is um, coupled between what they want and those indicators I just described. For Suboxone, like I said, it's kind of in the middle. They haven't really attempted previous MAT before or they haven't been in treatment before. They don't have a real long history. They weren't using, um, you know, more than a couple grams a day. So it's kind of that meat in the middle From methadone and and vivitrol the suboxone is
1: okay Mm -hmm. so some people believe that mat is just replacing one dependency for another Mm -hmm. how would you respond
2: well i think um in the general public it's often a misconception between dependence and addiction um people are dependent on a lot of things and it's nothing to be ashamed of. People are dependent on life-saving medications. People are dependent on diabetes medications. That dependency is nothing to be ashamed of. Addiction is when they're doing things in their life that are causing negative consequences for those, and and those around them could include legal, could include relationships. So for someone to be dependent on a medication... It's okay, I mean, if you take blood pressure medication, no one says that's negative for you to be dependent on that. So being dependent on Suboxone or Vivitrol or Methadone is simply needing that medication for you to sustain your life. If you're an active addiction, you're not sustaining life. If you're actively using heroin, typically you are not working, you're not um, having good relationships, you're not taking care of children. Um, someone dependent on a medication to sustain life, there's a, there's a difference there.
1: Okay. So, and it sounds like that kind of that outlook is changing a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say so. I think that um, with the awareness in the community now, with the epidemic, um, with the awareness in the community, um, awareness has increased. And I think we're all recognizing that our old way isn't necessarily working and we do need to look at these new, um, new, and I say that. They're not new, but be aware of other treatment options because the, the old AA, you know, stance on abstinence only has to change. Mm-hmm.
1: So now let's talk just a little bit further about another aspect of medication-assisted treatment. Um, when someone goes down that road, they cut themselves off, to put it in one way, of some of the resources that would otherwise be available to them through, if they went, the abstinence route. Mm -hmm. Because many of the 12-step and the other support groups really won't even let you in Mm -hmm. if you're on any medication whatsoever.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So how do you deal with that hurdle?
2: I think, again, it's that changing in the community. Initially, when I started with the MAT programs, a lot of what the clients would say is that they were not um, permitted at meetings or not permitted to speak in meetings because they were on MAT um, and we've found that we try to help the clients avoid those meetings. There are some NA meetings available who are accepting, uh, that's Narcotics Anonymous, that are accepting of the MAT. And there's now Heroin Anonymous in our community that's accepting of MAT as it's specifically focused towards heroin users. So it is expanding um, what's available to them, Uh, And that's, you know, on our part as counselors to continue to look for resources available to them um, while on MAT.
1: So uh, we talked a little bit earlier, Elise, about some of the metrics and the success that you've had with Vivitrol. Do you have any other stats that you can share with us?
2: Yes. We also had clients who chose to stay on the oral naltrexone, which is taken daily, which is the oral form of Vivitrol. We had eight clients choose that. One of them were able to successfully complete the program um, while just on the oral medication taken daily.
1: Wow. So that's an overwhelming endorsement, I think,
2: mm-hmm.
1: for your 30-day, the shot.
2: Absolutely. The last in
1: the system for 30 days. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's overwhelming. Okay. So, Elise, what else would you like to share with our listeners about the opioid epidemic in general, and opioid addiction recovery.
2: Um, one thing I'd like to share is the Narcan um, and the Don kits available in the community through Summit County Public Health. Um, you know, even if you have a loved one who is clean and sober, it's important to reach out to see where you can get a, a Don kit. Um, unfortunately, overdoses happening much too often um in the previous three weeks we had 236 in akron and you know a lot of those lives were saved by narcan um, so it is i would stress anyone who has a loved one even if they are clean to um Find out where you can get a don kit, and it's through Summit County Public Health, and they have days available to get that. Um, very, very important.
1: And they've got a number of distribution centers yes. right here in the Akron area.
2: Mm-hmm. One
1: in Cuyahoga Falls, I know, and and it's available for free. Mm-hmm. You just go in; just takes a few minutes, yeah. probably fifteen minutes, I think. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's a very short course. Yeah. Um, to learn how to use it and and the what it does, and you know, just get education on it.
1: And there's really no downside to it.
2: Mm -mm. No, no.
1: I mean, it's easy to do. Yes. And it's something where, if you have it on hand, you can save a life.
2: Yes. And we here at Oriana House, each of our buildings have um, Narcan in them, um, just in case. Yeah. Yeah, Just in case.
1: Anything else that you'd like to share, Elise?
2: I I would also like to, you know, touch back on what I said about individualized treatment. every client is different every clients come through a different road had a a different experience had different um, motivations to use reasons they use just because one time doesn't work you know maybe a different program will you know and just don't give up hope there are so many options out there now today given this epidemic and sometimes it does take a couple times before we can see success
1: Well, you know, something that's become clear in the interviews that we've conducted is that for whatever reason, out there, there's this image that relapse is the equivalent of failure. When in reality, relapse is really, when you learn about it, it's part of recovery. Mm -hmm. And so when you've decided, you've committed to make that step, to enter into recovery, and you stumble, you still, it's a success for however long you've been in, it, and whatever steps you took during your recovery process, that's a point to build on.
2: Right. Absolutely. A lot of times our clients learn from their relapse, and they may have one or two, and... They learn. They learn their mistakes. They learn they can't go around that old friend that they thought they could. And they learn that they couldn't work at that place where they thought they could. They learn from that mistake. And, and one thing is for sure that this disease changes the way a person thinks. It changes the way their brain has been chemically wired to work. And that's a hard thing to change back. You know, it really is. Kind of like muscle memory you know, with weight loss and weight gain and working out and not working out, you know, it's hard. It it is really hard. Um, And so, yes, relapse can certainly be a part of a person's recovery, and and it can certainly help them learn how to work a different program, how to do things differently for the future.
1: Well, thanks, Elise. Really appreciate this. You're welcome. Yeah, You're welcome. We've been visiting with Elise Adams, clinical administrator and licensed counselor with the Oriana House today. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for listening to this podcast presentation.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover Two Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover Two Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.